Good morning, church. Today's reading, good morning, yeah. Today's reading is from Nehemiah 2, 1 through 9. Go ahead and follow along on the screen. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should, I not, why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forests, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I was asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. Jeff, let's pray. Lord, your word is alive. It's spirit and life. And so this morning, let the, the truths of, of this passage come out to us in a way that's gonna, gonna meet us right where we're at. And um, Lord, we are, all, we are all builders in one sense. We've all been called to be uh, co-workers together, co-builders of the church, the Big C Church. And we co-labor with each other. We co-labor with you, Lord. You are the ultimate builder of the church. It's your church. You're the head. We are the body. And we are also builders of the local church, of this church, and each of us a living stone being fit together to form a house of worship for our God. And so, Lord, let the richness of our passage this morning come forth, and Lord, let my uh, weaknesses and inadequacies not get in the way of that. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as Greg mentioned, we were uh, in Southern California, uh, you know, till yesterday and, uh, and doing this West Coast Worship Conference. So I sit on a, on a board that kind of plans that and executes that, that conference. And uh, I got back late last night. And, uh, but the conference was amazing. Hundreds of people from all over the United States and uh, I taught a bunch of workshops there on songwriting. 
And uh, we had a, actually a whole day that was dedicated to songwriting. It was kind of a separate uh, piece from the conference. So if you just wanted to do a whole day of learning about songwriting and then actually songwriting, we did that uh, on Thursday last week. And so it was very, very um, encouraging, very, very inspiring. So how many of you know that music is kind of a big deal to God? So it, it's, it's really his gift to the church. We, we not only learn theology through studying scripture and meditating upon the word of God and, and hearing sermons faithfully preached from the word of God, we learn theology through the songs we sing. And that's been true of the church from day one. And, and even before there was the church, there was the people of God, Israel, right? The biggest book of the Bible is actually a collection of 150 songs. God chose to put the, make the biggest book of the Bible a collection of 150 songs. That's a little bit of a clue to what God's heart is about music and the songs that his people sing. And so many of the songs that we sing here at Lighthouse Church are songs that have been written here by people in our church. And so every generation has songwriters who give the church a fresh expression of praise and worship. You know, many years ago I was, uh, it, this was in the early days of our church, I was considering stepping out of worship ministry. And I just felt like I was taking up too much space in the church. Like, oh, there he is again. He's gotta be involved in this too. You know, kind of felt like that. Like I'm just, I'm sort of, too present with stuff all the time. And so I was ready to announce to our worship team and to the church, you know what, I'm gonna be seven back from, uh, from worship ministry and just concentrate on teaching the Bible and leading in other areas and that kind of thing. Now I never made that announcement because before I could make that announcement, the Lord spoke to me. Um, and when I, I don't use that term a lot, uh, he didn't speak to me audibly, but he spoke to me unequivocally that I was not to step out of worship ministry, but that God had gifted me for that. It was a gift that he didn't want to be put on the shelf and not used, but that he had plans. And so, I, I took that and went, okay, Lord. And, and you know, in hindsight, I can see that now being older, I have an influence on those who are younger. And both Greg and I, Pastor Greg and I, have this heart to wanna see the younger ones raised up and mentored in worship and, and songs written. And so we're even, there's a room over here that we're uh, sort of renovating and making, we're calling it the writer's room. And so if you feel like you've got a gift to write songs for the Lord, then let's do it. And it's gonna be a room in our church where we gather and we write songs. 
that are faithful to scripture, that are fresh expressions of God's praise. You know, um, it's just such a beautiful thing. So as Greg said, my daughters and I led worship there. It was a great conference. But I'll tell you this, I was so consumed um, with prep for the conference, it was a lot, that um, I'm not as prepared as I usually am for Sunday morning. So, so we'll see how it goes here this, this morning. Um, I'll tell you what I tell young married couples. Um, the key to a happy marriage, lower your expectations. <laughs> so if we could all just lower our expectations a little bit right now, we'll, we'll leave this place nice and happy this morning. <laughs> so thank you in advance. So Nehemiah. A Jewish man living in Susa, Persia, the capital city of the empire, the dominant empire of the world in that day. He was a government worker, but a high up government worker. He served in the presence of the king day in and day out, and often the queen, as we saw in our text today as well. Artaxerxes was a uh, powerful king of Persia. He killed his brother. He uh, tramped down some rebellions in Israel, at least on a couple of occasions. And he was a brutal guy. He was not afraid to kill people when it called for it. And Nehemiah is working in the direct presence of Artaxerxes. And his brother Hanani and a few others went to visit Jerusalem, oh, about eight, 900 miles away. They made the trip and they came back and Nehemiah asked his brother Hanani, hey, how is the city of Jerusalem and how are the people of God? Give me the lowdown of what's happening over there. Though Nehemiah had never been there as far as we know, he wanted to know how was the city of God and how are the people of God. And Hannah and I told him, brother, Jerusalem is a dump. It's, it's an absolute train wreck, rubble everywhere. And the temple's still standing but there's, there's nothing in the city of value. It's, it's just a wasteland. And the people of God, they're in misery. And they're, they're in constant shame. And people are mocking them, the surrounding peoples. The wall is, is rubble. It's broken down. And so there's nothing of value in the city because anything of value would just be ta it's just taken. So you can't build anything of value or have anything of value or have a business or anything because it's, it's just subject to theft. Well, Nehemiah was devastated hearing that news. Listen, when the wall breaks down, the city will be a dump. <laughs> so the condition of the people and the condition of the city that they live in 
are directly connected. And I mentioned this last week. In the ancient world, they had literal walls around the city. Literal walls. And without walls, you would be completely vulnerable to the enemies. And there would be no defense, no protection at all. So an unwalled city was always a dump. It was always just a dumpy place. Nothing of value in it. There, there was no you know, beautiful buildings. Anything of value would be stolen away immediately. Now, I mentioned the modern equivalent in our modern age, our wall, the thing that protects us, that allows us to have things of value in our city, is a police force. That's the wall of protection. And if you don't have a well-funded and well-trained police force, then you're not gonna be able to build a nice building or have a nice business with nice things because people are gonna come in and they're gonna steal your stuff. They're gonna vandalize your property. And what happens when there isn't the protection of the wall in the ancient days, the literal wall, in our days, the law enforcement, if you don't have that, then businesses will leave and people, will, they can't be there, they can't do what they want to do because, and so the city becomes ruins, it becomes a dump. It happened then, it's, it's happening now. After church last week, uh, I mentioned my daughter and son-in-law visiting San Francisco a few months ago, and a brother from church came up and said, hey, I used to live in San Francisco, and I was there not that long ago, and I am, I mean, kind of felt like Nehemiah, like, just heartbroken. That that's what was such a beautiful city has become such, a, a, just a place of misery. And he showed me a map. They have maps now that show where the human excrement is in the city, all over the place. Because the wall's broken down. And it's not just the police force, but it's the prosecutors. It's the, it's the, that's the wall. And if, if you're not willing to enforce, to keep the wall stout, and then the city becomes a ruins. The people are in misery. Life is ugly and dreary. People live with constant stress and fear. And where do I park my car? I can't, whatever. You never know when you're gonna be robbed or brutalized. Nehemiah's heart is broken. So he begins to pray. He begins to pray. And he cries out to God. But along with his prayers, as we will discover, he is planning. He's praying and planning. Listen, you, prayers without plans are incomplete. Plans without prayers are incomplete. When we begin to pray about something, we have to be ready and willing to know that God, if he is giving us his favor, he's gonna act upon that, and I'm gonna be some part of the story, some part of the answer to that prayer. That's the way it works so often. So Nehemiah is praying. He's praying for God's city. He's praying for God's people, and he's going over in his mind, how could we rebuild that wall? 
How can we, I mean, we need to get worship restored. The church needs to be thriving, Nehemiah is thinking, in Jerusalem, the temple. Worship needs to be vibrant. God needs to be praised and worshiped. The people of God need to be able to come to worship without fear, without shame. So he's praying and is planning. Listen, I mentioned this at the end of service last week, that the wall that we're gonna be reading about in Nehemiah, yes, that was a physical wall, but it's representative of a lot more. There are walls around our hearts. And if those walls are in ruins, we are susceptible to the same kind of misery and shame. Living life with stress and anxiety and shame and, and all of it. I was thinking about this on the, on the plane last night. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart, which literally means guard your heart from danger. Put a wall of protection around your heart. Keep your heart safe. So, so there's enemy forces trying to come in and steal your joy and rob your peace and wreak havoc in your life. You need to guard your heart. How do you do that? Well, we won't say a lot on this this morning. It'll come up as we go, but... For instance, Proverbs twenty-two twenty: thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked, but whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. If you're guarding your heart, guarding your soul, the wall is strong, the wall is built, you'll recognize wisely that that particular direction in life, that decision to go there or to do that. That is gonna bring snares and misery eventually. And so wisdom becomes one of the chief guardians, one of the chief ways that the wall remains stout around our hearts and that we don't start making decisions that lead us into snares and thorns and difficulty. Well, Proverbs 13.3 says, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. Whoever opens wide his lips comes to ruin. The wall, if there's a breach in the wall, stuff will come out of your mouth, nasty stuff, stuff where you're, you're you know, critical of people and you're, you're tearing down others and you're always just, you know, you're the chief critic all the time. Listen, that's gonna bring you to ruin. People don't like being around you. I guarantee it. 
unless they're of the same kind of attitude and posture, then you can have, you know, you can commiserate in your misery together and just criticize everybody and live life as a critic instead of as a servant of Jesus who brings life and light into the world and into every situation. If you don't guard your mouth, you're gonna come to ruin. So there's all kind of ways, we'll see this as we go. All right, I'm gonna toss out because we're making a big turn here. Nehemiah, praying for four months, planning while he's praying. Four months, burden for Jerusalem, burden for God's people. Chapter two now, verse one. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine, gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. So, so first thing, I want you to note Nehemiah's professionalism. Okay, he worked for the king in the presence of the king, often the queen, and often in the presence of foreign dignitaries and powerful people. And so he had to be absolutely, he had to maintain decorum. He, you don't come in wearing your emotions on your sleeve. Okay, pretty, it was a pretty good gig, right? Here's Nehemiah's gig. He goes to the palace every day. He drinks the best wine and eats the best food. That's his gig. And if he doesn't die, it's a good day. Now, there was no application for that job, right? Wouldn't mind that job, eating, eating the best food, drinking the best wine every single day. It's my job. All I got to do is stay alive. So Nehemiah was chosen for the job. And to be chosen, you had to be put together. You had to be good looking. You had to be able to speak well. You had all the stuff, man. You had to be able to represent the king well, day in and day out. And you do not you do not come in with burdens. You don't burden the king. He can burden you. You do not burden him. That was the job. So Nehemiah, on this particular day, after four months of praying and planning, his burden works its way onto his face. He wasn't trying. This wasn't manipulation. This, this is a dangerous moment, as we'll see in a second here. This was a dangerous moment. It just, he couldn't control it. Listen, for, for those of you who work in business or work in the community, work wherever, professionalism is, is a beautiful, virtuous thing. that You want to honor the people that you work for. That's a good thing. Ultimately, you're working for Jesus. You're working for King Jesus. So you don't want to be the kind of person you come in and you burden people all the time. You come in needy all the time. I need this and I need that. And you're where, you know, you had a bad day. And so you come in all, and it's, that is not conducive to a healthy workplace. Now there's a time and a place when you're carrying a burden and your brother, your sister, whoever can help you. And of course, there's a time. But in the workplace, typically not the time. If you're going to work, you're not going to bring burdens. You're going to alleviate burdens, to get work done, right? 
Nehemiah, that was his posture. He didn't plan on, on showing out this burden that he had to the king, not at all. But it came out. Well, secondly, I want you to note Nehemiah's fear. <laughs> Verse 2, the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you're not sick? There's, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. Ooh. There's a little bit of... Mm, he's calling me out right now. Like, you, you don't appear to have a reason really to be sad in my presence. And so notice what it says at the end of verse 2. Then I was very much afraid. Like, okay, this could be it. Listen, you, you bring a burden to the king instead of take burdens from the king he very easily would kill you. That's it, you're done. You don't do that. You just don't do that. This is the most powerful political person on planet Earth, King Artaxerxes of the Persian Empire. You do not burden him. And so Nehemiah knew fully what was at stake here. And he's thinking, this might, this might be it. Listen, there are things that are worth risking our life for. There are things that are worth dying for. And if, if you don't have something that you're, you're not willing to die for, then I guarantee you, you're, you're not living a full life. Not at all. Nehemiah, because he wanted to live and see Jerusalem rebuilt and the people of God restored and refreshed, he was willing to risk his life for the building up of God's people. And so there he was in the moment. This might be it. Artaxerxes might take me out. So notice the third thing, Nehemiah's risk. Verse three. So I said to the king, let the king live forever. Note to self, compliment the king when you're, when you're in that moment. <laughs> you know, wear the shirt, king live forever, whatever. But let him know you're for him. But then watch this. He goes on, why should not my face be sad when the city the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. So he laid it out. He, he assessed in that second, he was fearful. Okay, this might be the end of my life. This might be it. So be it. God, you're in charge. I've been praying about this. If this is the end, then it's the end. So he just lays it out there. King, why would I not be sad? Knowing the condition of my people, God's people, and the city, that, that's why I'm sad in your presence. He's not making an excuse. He's not trying to, to get Artaxerxes to sign off on it like, oh, yeah, it's totally okay that you were sad in my presence. Not doing that at all. He's just giving an honest, this is why this, came, this sadness came out on my face and you saw it. I didn't, I didn't try and make it come out. It just did, and here's why. He put it on the table. So now, verse four, notice Nehemiah's opportunity. 
the king said to me, oh man, what are you requesting? Whoa, whoa. Okay, this is a moment. This is a moment. I'm, I'm thinking I'm gonna be dead. That's distinct possibility, probably better than 50-50. I'm done. Why am I sad? I tell him, city, Jerusalem's ruined, people. Why would I not be sad? And the king says, what are you requesting? Whoa. Notice what it says at the end of verse four. So I prayed to the God of heaven. In that moment, Nehemiah felt the weight of this, like, whoa. Everything is swinging on this hinge in this moment right now. I've been praying for four months. I got all that behind me. That's all there. But here we are in this moment. Things could go any which way, whatever. But I, I'm, I'm rolling with this. So he prayed to God. It's what we call a popcorn prayer. It lasted probably two seconds. Boop. God, here we go. Help me. Wasn't out loud, just in his head. Listen, pop, popcorn prayers are awesome, but you don't live on popcorn. Maybe some of you do. <laughs> there were times in my life I did live on popcorn, but, but for, a, for a person who has a, a healthy prayer life and an ongoing conversation with God, you can, you can shoot up a two-second request, Lord, anoint my words to Artaxerxes right now. Lord, give me courage to speak with clarity. And so he did. Nehemiah prayed. So notice, fifthly, Nehemiah's request. Verse five. I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. So his first request is that Artaxerxes send him. So not that Artaxerxes allows him or releases him, but that Artaxerxes sends him, that Artaxerxes is behind him and for him and for this mission that he's wanting to undertake. So, so you feel that, right? That he's asking something very significant here. He's not asking to be let loose or let go. He's saying, if I've found favor, if, if in the last number of however long he's been there, number of years serving the king in his presence, if, if my character and my life have, have spoken to you and, and created favor in your heart for me, if you, if you are inclined to give me favor, then send me to Jerusalem. Send me to my God's city, the city of my ancestors, to rebuild it. But secondly, not only send me, <laughs> but he is asking, and we just know this from 
the rest of the book, he is asking for time off. How long will you be gone? Verse six, the king said to me, the queen sitting behind him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? It's practical. I'm the king. This is my guy, one of my cupbearers. Good guy, like him. Like having him around. I want to know, how long is he going to be gone? So, so it pleased the king. It says, end of verse 6, it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. So, how much time did Nehemiah need? Twelve years. Twelve years. How, how would you like, if you're a boss, your employee comes in and says, um, <clears throat> uh, I need to go visit some family uh, 900 miles away, and I want you to send me, and... Uh, and the boss says, oh, how, much, how much time do you need? And, and you say 12 years. He's probably going to say, well, go ahead and take 60 years. How's that? And goodbye. <laughs> and so he tells him straight up, it's going to take years, king. It's going to take years. Verse 7 I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. So, so not only send me, king, not only send me for 12 years, king, but also give me letters to give to the governors, the, the powerful politicians on the other side of the Euphrates over in Israel where I'm going so that they see that I have your authority and they can't stop me. So send me, give me 12 years off and give me letters. He's not done. Verse eight, and a letter to Asaph the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. So, so king, I want you to send me. I want you to give me 12 years off. And I want you to give me letters to give to all the governors and the powerful people from you so they leave me alone. And then I want you to give me an unlimited credit line to your personal Lowe's store or chain of stores in that region that I can go in and get all the timber that I want whenever I want to rebuild the wall, to rebuild the beautiful gates, and to build myself a sweet house. That's what he's saying. You, you home builder guys, like, this is your verse right here. Nehemiah went from fearing for his life, wondering if this is it, to asking for Artaxerxes to not only not kill him, but send him 
Give him 12 years off. Give him letters to give the governors of the region and to open up the Lowe's stores throughout the region that he can take whatever materials he wants whenever he wants to build the walls of the city, the gates of the city, and to build himself a nice house in Jerusalem. Listen. God's vision requires God's provision. Nehemiah understood that, that he didn't have the means to get this done. He wasn't personally wealthy enough to finance that project. And he was going to God's people who were not wealthy either. They were living in very desperate conditions. And so he's been praying for four months. He's been seeking the Lord. He's been planning, as we'll see. Uh, next time, he, you know, he's got it figured out how he's going to go about building the wall and doing all this stuff. And he's, he's, he's got all of that part dialed in. And now the door. The king asks the question that, that sort of gives Nehemiah the sense that, God, you're, going, you're answering prayer. I'm, I'm just stepping forward in this. I'm walking through. I'm not holding back. I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, cut my request in half. I'm not saying, you know, give, give me six years off. And give me, you know, some materials. And we'll, we'll figure out how to get the rest. He's going in. He's making the requests everything that he needs, which he's figured out already, he's planned it out. Listen, praying and planning, they go together. Planning and praying. If you only do one of those, then whatever you do, it's not gonna come to fruition, at least the way God would have it come to fruition. So he's been praying and planning, and the door opens up in this moment of conversation with the king, and Nehemiah steps through it, prayerfully and lays it out. Here's what I'm asking. Here it is. Boom. You sent me. Boom. Letters for the governors. Boom. 12 years off. Boom. All the materials I need. All the best. You got the best timber? I want to use the best timber. Boom. I want to build a house. I don't want to live in some dump for 12 years. Lastly, and we're done. Nehemiah's realization, verse eight, the king granted me what I asked. Why? For the good hand of my God was upon me. Nehemiah gets everything he asked for granted by King Artaxerxes. How did that happen? Because Nehemiah's true king, Jesus, had his hand upon Nehemiah, the hand of God. Listen, when the hand of God is upon you, it's the, the hand of his favor, then doors open up to you that unfold the will of God before you. The hand of God, that you think of it as a parent, that when your hand upon your child, sometimes it's for discipline, but a lot of times it's for guidance. Your hand is upon, it's for protection. 
is for leading them in the way that they need to go. Nehemiah is going, the hand of my God. That's the, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the anointing of God upon our lives. And so we can, we can move with the Lord. We can realize it's not me. I'm not doing that. This is not me kind of just, you know, planning my own thing and scheming to make this happen. No, I have prayed about this. I am moving with God. I'm following the cues in this conversation. I'm stepping through when opportunity presents itself. And then when the answers are yes, 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 I'm not going, whoa, I nailed that. Nehemiah is super clear. This was the hand of God. Listen, our, our church being here in this property is the hand of God. No <laughs> ifs, ands, or buts. We gotta be done. That's, you know, when you're not really, usually when I prepare, I, I get some kind of a definite end that says, dude, you need to stop, man. And I don't have that in front of me. So I'm going to right now, I'm feeling that moment, and we're going to do it. So we're going to pray. Lord, right now, I feel like your word has, has been um, distributed by the Holy Spirit in, in ways that's going to hit each person uniquely for their life. And that's, that's what you do, Lord. You, you just, you, you're personal to each of us. You speak to us. And, and even from the same passage of Scripture, there are going to be different things that the Holy Spirit emphasizes to us that, that meet us in this moment that we're in in life. And so, Lord, my, my prayer right now is just that as we, as we get ready to come to the table of communion, that that, Lord, we would, we would embrace that, that we wouldn't just put, put it off. And I think sometimes we do that. We, we minimize our moment with you where we hear your voice and we, we explain it away as, well, that wasn't God speaking to me, when in fact it was. And just, just that thought ought to thrill us. God spoke to me through the word of God, directly to my life. So God, help us to treat that as a treasure, as something that we hang on to. God spoke to me in church on September 24th about this. I'm as certain as I can be that that was the voice of God speaking through his word to me and to my situation. And then, Lord, as we pray about whatever it is, the things that you've called us to do, we're all called to be builders of the church. We're all called to be builders of this church, to, to care about the glory of God, to care about the people of God, to care about the house of God. So however, Lord, you would have us to be wall builders, kingdom wall builders, Lord. We pray that you would lead us. 
even as you led Nehemiah, even as you raised up people in the area of Jerusalem to get involved in the ministry, to get involved in the work. So, Lord, meet us at the table where we are confronted with the greatest act of love and of justice that the world has ever seen. Love and wrath being displayed in one place. And because your love was demonstrated for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The wrath that was on full display, he who knew no sin became sin for us. You laid on him the iniquity of us all. that we no longer are objects of your wrath, but now as your sons and daughters, we are objects of your love and your grace. So Lord, for those that are struggling with some kind of sin this morning, maybe it's with just being a sour, having a sour disposition and always being a critic. God, I pray that you would give my brother, my sister the humility to confess that as an ugly sin. Lord, if it's lust or lying or deception, uh, malice towards someone, unforgiveness in the heart, uh, uncontrolled anger, whatever it is, that we would recognize and discern those things as sin, as, as members in our earthly bodies that are not us, and we're to kill them, we're to mortify those things, not justify those things. So as we come to the table, help us to Lord, to do business with you. So search us and know us, see if there's any wicked way in us, Lord. And then lead us in the everlasting way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.